Traditionally, churches tend to um, incorporate Mother's Day into their service or into some aspect of it. And I've always found it really quite an awkward blend. Different people have different experiences. Some have great mums and some don't. Some are mothers. Some would like to be mothers and aren't. And so you've got this, our culture celebrates Mother's Day today. Now, don't get me wrong. I thank God for mothers. I thank God for my mother. I even thank God for my mother-in-law. I've got an awesome mother-in-law and she's not even here today. So, and I'm saying that. So it's not because, you know, she scares me that I'm saying it. It's because she's awesome. And I've been blessed by my mother-in-law, not only because she raised an amazing daughter, but because she's actually an awesome person. But not everyone's experience is like that. And so when we come to Mother's Day, I always kind of go, oh, it's a bit, bit of an awkward blend of, we're here to worship God, not to worship mothers, but our mothers are special and significant. And, and I kind of, oh, it's always a bit awkward. And so I just put in the two hard basket. And there's always someone else who comes along and does something to acknowledge mothers and that's fantastic and I don't have to kind of wrestle with that. But as I was preparing this week, I had a bunch of things that I felt Lord wanted me to share and as the week went on, I didn't know how to, how to bring it together and it ended up being mothers was a really great way to bring it together. And I had to chuckle to myself that uh, in amongst my kind of avoiding mothers, I'm actually going to use mothers as a springboard this morning to share with you. Just as a side fact... It's interesting because we think about God our Father, and Jesus referred to his Father in heaven. And we often have a male, attach a male kind of persona to God. And Jesus obviously was male. But what you might not realize is in Hebrew, the the language that the Old Testament was written in, the word for God's spirit, it's a feminine word, um, which is really interesting. The other thing that's interesting is that the language that Jesus spoke, Aramaic, the Holy Spirit is also feminine. And then in Greek, which the New Testament was written in, it's actually gender neutral. The Holy Spirit's gender neutral. Now, don't get me wrong. It's not an ultra feminist direction that I'm suggesting. And it's also, I'm not, you know, mother earth, new age sort of, don't get me wrong. All I'm saying is that when God said, let's create humankind in our image, man and woman, he created them. There's actually characteristics of God in both male and female. And sometimes when we put God in the the male box, we actually miss out on some of the depth of what he created in man and woman. So it's just an interesting perspective to have, an interesting way of kind of understanding God a little bit more broadly. And this morning, I want to look at mothers. Now, when I talk about mothers, I'm talking, and this comes back to the awkwardness of this, I'm talking about a generic sense of mothers. Not all mothers are the same, and not all mothers are are perfect, and there's wrestles with being a mother. But in a general sense of being mothers, there's some things that mothers hear quite frequently, quite often. Um, Maybe not you, but there are phrases that they hear from their children quite regularly. And I'm going to step through five phrases this morning and unpack some of the characteristics that some mothers have, but also that God has, that our church has, and that we desire to have as people. The first one, but why? Most mothers have heard this phrase. Why? Why? Normally with a four or five-year-old, but sometimes with a 17, 18, 19, 20, 21-year-old too. But why? Some of it's just being annoying, but some of it is that wanting to understand their motive. What's mum up to? What's she doing here? And there's something really significant about parents, but mothers as well, in that there's intentionality there. Mothers are intentional. And this question, why, is trying to unpack what's behind this mum? Why 
are you making me do this? Why are you saying that? And normally there's a really good reason. Sometimes it's too hard to unpack for a kid. And other times it's, I'm just sick of you asking, so it's just because is the answer. But behind a lot of what a mother does, most of what a mother does is very intentional. It's very intentional. And the intention is with fruit in mind, is with a a reason. And I don't know, mums, what do you see your intention as a mother being? What's your aim? What's your goal? What's your purpose? To teach? Yep. Protection? Love, nurturing, it's good. Listening, there's a lot of things that you unpack. And sometimes those things come across as boring, mundane, repetitive tasks for your kids. And other times they're super and exciting. But behind each and every one of them is intention. And when we look at Jesus' life, he made it very clear that he had intention. There was no confusion that Jesus had intention. He said, For the Son of Man, talking about himself, came to seek and to save those who are lost. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, for I was sent for this purpose. Therefore, Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born and for this I have come into the world. For even the Son of Man, again referring to himself, did not come to be served, but to serve. For this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. There was no confusion in Jesus' mind and in his actions that he was intentional. Like a mother for their children, he came with a purpose. And when we look at God and what what God's prepared and what God's established... He's a very intentional God. He doesn't just do things out of feeling like doing them today. He has purpose and he has plan and he has intention. And for us, he also says, I want intention for you. I want intention for your church. When we get together each Sunday, there is actually a lot of intention that's been put into every single aspect of what we do. A lot of prayer, a lot of preparation, a lot of discernment, a lot of reading of scripture. There's times the navigators get together and wrestle with things that maybe didn't work and go, how can we do that better? And there's intention from the moment we walk in the door to the moment we leave to make this place a place of intention. And the intention is varied from time to time, but we want to make sure that everything that we do has intention. We're not just here out of duty or out of obligation or, or just to tick a box. That's not the plan. The plan is with intention. And just like a mum answering that question why, God is very intentional and we want to be part of that intention that he's planned. Do I have to? Has anyone heard that question? Do I have to? I need you to eat your breakfast. Oh, do I have to? You've got to get ready for school. Do I have to? There's this sense that it's almost like a a resistance. A mum wants the best for a kid. She has that intention. And yet the child kind of goes, it just sounds hard or just sounds unappealing or just doesn't sound like what I want to do. You need to eat your vegetables. Do I have to? And behind the mother's awesome intention is this sense of discipline, this sense of encouraging and teaching and building and growing a child to be the best that they can be. And there's this desire 
for a mother, whether the child sees the value in it right now, they probably don't. But the parent still says, I'm really sorry, you do have to. I really want this for you. You might not understand why, you might not get the intention, but I'm going to create a place of discipline, a place of encouragement, let's call it. Sometimes it needs more than just a bit of encouragement, but there's this discipline, there's this sense that the mum has to create a space where things just have to be done that way. Yes, you do have to. You might not understand why, you might not like it, but you do have to because I, I have intention and there's something good for you. There's this verse in Proverbs 29, 17 to 18 that says, Discipline your children and they will give you peace of mind and will make your heart glad. When people do not accept divine guidance, they run wild. But whoever obeys the law is joyful. In this, there's actually a verse that gets used quite a lot. You might not recognize it because I've used a version that doesn't use the, the popular words. The popular words are, where there is no vision, the people perish. That's the King James Version. Now, I was coming at this from a different uh, agenda this week, but it struck me how distorted that verse is actually used. We often use the word vision in terms of goal setting and, and direction and, and purpose and perish as, as death. So where there's no goal setting and purpose, people die. But that's not what this verse is saying at all. And if you take it out of context, you can kind of create what you want. The NIV version says, where there is no revelation, people cast off restraint. So Peter was saying that perish is more like an apple perishing. It withers away at not what it was intended to be. And the vision is actually God instructing, God teaching, God giving instruction to people. And so when you look at this as a package, you can see that it's about God giving instruction good instruction to people, his revelation, his word, his prophecy, his vision, his direction to people. And there's blessing accepting wisdom's instruction, accepting what God is saying. There's joy in that. There's a little um, diagram I want to go through. And just bear with me. There's a process that we all step through when we make decisions, when we act. We start by hearing something, whether we read or sense or observe. I say here in a loose term. Our senses get some information. So I'm talking right now and you're hearing. But that doesn't mean you're listening. That's a different step. And your kids, mums know that. They know that there's a big difference between hearing and listening. Kids can hear something, but it doesn't mean they're listening. So step two is to listen. That's paying attention, to reflect on, to process, to actually absorb the information. And after we've listened, we need to come to a point of deciding what we're going to do about it. Do we trust it? Do we believe it? Do we own it? Do we acknowledge it? And then lastly, out of that, when we come to a point of trusting it, we act on it. You either respond, you change, you obey, whatever that might be. Now, this is just a nice little conceptual idea, but you can all all relate to it. And it's actually kind of the reverse of Romans 10, where it says, but how can they call on him to save them, the act, unless they believe in him, the trust? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear unless someone tells them? It's that same process in reverse. The acting comes out of trusting, the trusting comes out of listening, and the listening comes out of hearing. The interesting thing in this picture, though, is that these two middle ones happen internally. They happen inside someone. And as a mother, 
that's probably one of the parts that you worry about the most. I get the impression from mums. I worry about the most because the hearing you can do. I can tell my kids what to do. I can tell them the right thing. They even might even do the right actions. But inside, I want them to be whole, complete, at peace, full. That want to make good choices. Want to make not just good choices, but choices with the right motives. And yet those two things are the things that we have no control over. As parents, as church leaders, even God has chosen to let people do what they want in that space. He doesn't control people in what they listen and what they trust. He speaks to them. He shows them. He demonstrates. He acts. He does the hearing and the acting. But the listening and the trust, he actually lets every single person make a choice. And it's a wrestle because when you love people, you want the best for them. And you want them to do those two things really well. And yet you're powerless to do it. It doesn't mean you don't grieve and you don't hurt and you don't wrestle and you don't stress about it. But you've got to realise that in our discipline, we can do the hearing and the acting, but we can't do the listening and trusting for somebody. And it blows my mind how God does that. Because he knows what's going on inside. He says in Isaiah 48, uh, 48, 18, If only you would pay attention to my commandments, then your peace would become just like a river and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. If you listened to me, if you acted on what I told you, then things are going to be amazing. But he's still, it's an invitation. He lets us choose. It's an amazing concept and just shows you how broad God's shoulders are. I'm sure as a parent, any parent's been frustrated with the, the decisions and the choices their kids have made. Just imagine a God who has not stepped in and made people do things that he knows is good for them, but actually let them choose. It's phenomenal. And as churches, there's so much time that I, I hear people say, why don't they make this choice? Why this person's frustrating me or, or this thing's not going the way it should go? And, and you kind of go, wow, we get worked up with it. Imagine how God is when he lets people choose and they make mistakes. And yet he still keeps coming back. He hasn't withdrawn his intention. He's still prepared to keep going and keep going and keep pursuing and keep letting us have another go. Even though that middle part, he's, he's taken his hands off and said, you can choose for yourself. I'll let you choose. It's a, it's a phenomenal concept, I think, to understand. Whatever. Has anyone heard this? Whatever. What's behind this statement? What do you reckon? I heard it. I'm not listening to you. I don't care. <laughs> I'm not listening. I don't care. Our daughter has, is, is amazingly expressive, Catherine. So she's nine now. When she was a little younger, she still works on it. She's very expressive. But she'll say, yes, mum. And you go, I love the words that you've said, Catherine. I'm glad you're agreeing with your mother. But I can see there's something else going on inside. <laughs> I can see that it's not quite the way on the outside as it is on the inside. And that's what this whatever statement's saying. Do whatever you want, mum and dad. Whatever you're saying, I'm on, on the surface agreeing with, but I'm letting you know that on the inside, things are different. Now, you kind of think they're, they're agreeing with you. Awesome. But a mother's heart isn't for 
the outside agreement. And I couldn't think of a good word. I've used the word well-being here. It's a bit of a fluffy word. But I'm trying this point to the fact that a mother doesn't just want the things on the outside to be right. It comes back to the value of those two things, the, the listening and the trust. Because it's great that your son or your daughter does the right thing. But if inside they're bitter and twisted and cut up and don't want to be there and they're hating life and, and things are really hard, that's not enough for a mum. Just on the outside doing the right thing. The well-being the internal desire for people to be at peace, for their kids to be at peace. That's God's heart too. God wants not whatever. He doesn't want yes, sir, no, sir, three bags full, sir. He wants the inside to be right. And as I said before, he's, he's left that with us. He's let us choose and yet his heart aches. It yearns for the inside to be right. Hosea 6.6 says, I want you to show love, not offer sacrifices. I want you to know me more than I want burnt offerings. At the time, the temple model, the, the Jewish model was that to do the right things, you would go to the temple and you would offer sacrifices, you would, you would give burnt offerings. That would be a way of being right before God. And yet God says in amongst that, I want your heart. I want you to show love. I want you to know me. There's a real significance in that place of being right on the inside. And God eagerly desires that for each and every one of us. There you go, 1 Samuel 16, 7. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. He values the well-being of our soul. This is a good response for your kid. And they say, whatever, yes, whatever is the correct answer. <laughs> Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is ab- admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. That's the soul, that's on the inside. Whatever, yes. <laughs> Preach it, my son or daughter. <laughs> whatever. <laughs> but why? <laughs> mum, mum, mum. Hey, mum, mum, mum. Has anyone heard this? (laughs) Now, the characteristic here could be patience. Mums are amazingly patient people. Well beyond they, I think, imagine. Because they know what's going on inside. But I've seen a lot of mums. And mums are amazing. I don't know how they do it sometimes. But the word I haven't used here is, is not patience. Because behind this, it reflects a sense of, of relationship. Kids want to know their mums. There, there's relationship there. And again, God values relationship. Did you know in the, in the New Testament, there are 59 one another's. There's actually 100 of them. But in the context that we're using, there's 59 verses in the New Testament that say one another. So you get the impression that God values relationship. And what do those 59 things say? Be at peace with one another, love 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 one another, be devoted to one another, honour one another. I'll make it a bit easier. I've kind of summarised them here into little parcels of ideas. 16 times it says love one another. A bunch of times it says greet one another. Encourage, instruct, teach, build up. Be at peace, harmony, accept, devoted, honour. 
Carry, bear, equal concern, admonish, pray for, forgive, don't grumble against, pass judgment, provoke, envy, lie or slander. Serve, wait for, be hospitable to one another. God values relationships. As a church, we value relationships. As families, that bond between parents and kids, between kids, relationships is his design. And he says time and time again, I value relationships and I really want you to too. And the last one is, can I have a hug, mum? Or can I sit on your knee, mum? Again, I couldn't think of a really cool word that fits this one. I've said comforting embrace. Comforting embrace. The idea that God wants to know us, not just on the outside. We see here in 1 John 3, 1, he says, See how very much our Father loves us, for he calls us his children, and that is what we are. And in John 14, 16 and 17 says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate, a comforter, encourager, or counsellor, who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. Do you see the Holy Spirit as an advocate, a comforter, an encourager, a counsellor? God has sent the Holy Spirit for that purpose. He gives awesome gifts. He equips and enables us. He brings power. Scripture talks about those things. But he is a comforter. And I want to tell you a story about a guy called John. John was a uni student, long dreadlocky style hair. It wasn't dreadlocks, but it wasn't kept so it looked like dreadlocks. Jeans that were ripped, T-shirt, and bare feet. That's just how he liked to roll. He could forge shoes, but he just liked bare feet. And in the second year of uni, he became a Christian. And so in exploring what it meant to be a Christian, he, uh, he saw that across the uni there was a church. So he thought, you know what, I'm going to visit that church. I'm going to go check it out. So he walked into this old traditional style church, pews, priest sort of figure up the front, dressed in robes. And he walked in and he realised it was quite full. He got there late, typical uni student. He was kind of, you know, running on his own time and kind of rocked up when he rocked up. So he wandered down the aisle to try and find a seat. And the further he got, the more he realised that there's no seats in this place. It's actually quite full. There was one or two, but he'd have to push past people and he didn't want to get in the way. So he got all the way to the front without there being any seats. And he went, and sit on the floor. So he just sits on the floor at the front. Pretty normal. He would do that anywhere. He would do that in many places. But in this proper traditional church, that wasn't very normal. No one had ever sat on the floor at the front before. Everyone sat and stood at the right times and and did their thing. By this point, he was noticed. Most people in the room had noticed John. Towards the back was one of the elders, 71-year-old guy. And he, uh, he struggled to walk, so he had a walking stick. And he got up, and again, the whole room was trying to pay attention, but they were watching this old guy. And people were thinking, you know what, he doesn't know any better. He's old-fashioned, he's wearing his suit. I can understand where he's coming from. And as he's walking down, clunking with his walking stick towards the front, people are kind of feeling a bit sorry for John at this point because they kind of can see what's coming with this elder. And the elder gets to the front and stands next to John. And 
very, very awkwardly puts down his walking stick and sits down next to John. And the room was silent. And the pastor up the front went, I'm about to share a message that none of you are ever going to remember. But you're going to remember this. And when we think about the Holy Spirit, the word used in this verse is paraclete. It's a word that means to come alongside. And right at that moment, John needed someone to come alongside him. And it's a, it's a great picture of what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. There's five characteristics here that we can loosely associate with mums, whatever that is. But there are also five characteristics of an amazing God. They're five characteristics of what God wants us as a church to look like and to be. And they're five characteristics that God actually wants each of us to embrace, to, to look at and to see where we're at in our lives. And in some ways, they're five fairly standalone things. They could have to be five different messages. But underneath it all is an amazing picture of God, an amazing picture of intention and purpose, and a desire to be with his people. And sometimes in our busyness, in our running around, in our desire to do things well even, we can forget underneath it all what God's agenda is in all this, what his intention is, what his purpose is, what he desires for us to experience and to live out. And when we look at the Holy Spirit and the power and significance of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we've got to remember why the Holy Spirit was sent. We've got to remember why there is purpose and intention why he wants to heal, why he wants to prophesy. They're because he loves us. He doesn't just love us. He loves every single one of his creations. And he loves us to reflect that to those around us. Last week, a number of the guys stood up and said, I'm going to take being a husband and a father seriously. I'm going to fight for my family. I'm going to pray for my family. I'm going to pray with other guys and stand with them because I want to have that intention. I want to be intentional. And I don't know, guys, how you found this week. It was a lot harder than the idea that you stood. And, and, and mind you, there's a lot of ladies who also stood next to men or stood up and said, yes, we want to support our men. We want to stand and encourage and play our part too. How'd you find that this week? Because it's all well and good to look at these words and go, ah, isn't that a nice idea? But if you're a mum, you know that it's not just about nice ideas. Because when it gets tough, you've got to have more than nice ideas. Because it is tough. It's draining. It keeps coming at you. Some days, I'm, I know, speaking to mums, it feels like it's never going to end. It's hard. So it's got to be bigger than a nice idea. Because that doesn't cut it when things are tough. When you're getting... But why do I have to, whatever, mum, 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 mum. Maybe the hug mum one is a bit of a relief in there. It's not easy. And yet God says it's worth it. Not just as a mum, but as someone who knows him, who wants to live the way he's called us to live. So let's just pray. Lord, I just thank you so much that you have intention for us. You have plans and purposes for our good. 
And we just thank you so much, Lord, that you have chosen to call us part of your family, to call us your children, to embrace us. Lord, I thank you that you discipline us. Sometimes I don't understand. Sometimes it's me, Lord, who asks, but why, but why, but why? And yet, Lord, you've never given up on me. You keep going. You keep hoping. You keep pursuing me. And Lord, I know, even when I disagree with you, that you're right, that you're good, that your way is higher than my way. And Lord, I pray for, a, for each of us this morning, Lord God, that your spirit would move, you would comfort, you would encourage, you would equip and enable, Lord, that we would know the God that walks with us. We would know the God that embraces us. We would know the God that sings over us. We would know the God that, that desires the best for every single one of his, his creations. Father, help us to, to be humble. Help us not to get proud and think that we don't need you, Lord, that think that we've got it under control. Lord, we desperately need you. We desperately need your spirit to move. We desperately need your comfort and your purpose and your direction so that we might also be a comfort and give purpose and direction to others around us. That our love wouldn't be something that we, we hold on to selfishly, Lord God, but it's something that we can share with those around us, those we meet, those you've called us to minister to and to reach out to. So Father, I pray for boldness this morning that you would help us to connect, to step out, to do what it is you want us to do. Because we love you and we love that you love us too. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>